You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. So today's walk talk is, can women be pastors and elders? I'm going to get into that today. So be sh- yeah, yeah, absolutely. So be sure to type in the comments where you are checking in from on the globe so that we know. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Where you're, wherever you're at on planet Earth. <laughs> but thank you for joining me. Um, if you're new to my ministry, my name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. They're all available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. Check them out if you get some time. If you've read any, hi, 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 good morning. It is morning here. It's about 10.06 Central Standard Time. Uh, I'm in Farmington, Missouri. Uh, if you have read any of my books, please go back to Amazon. Leave me a quick review. I also have a podcast. I'm recording the latest episode live on Instagram. And thank you for joining me live. But if you're listening on the podcast, pause the podcast leave me a review, and then come back and finish the podcast. The name of my podcast is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. It's available on every major podcast platform. Be sure to check it out if you have not checked it out just yet. And also, I'm on YouTube. If you're looking for any particular Bible topic or subject or or issue that you're struggling with, I might be able to help you out. Just go to my YouTube channel and search whatever you're looking for. And you can also go to the topics page on my website to search any particular Bible verse, any subject, any issue you're struggling with. I might be able to help you and I have lots of free resources to read on my website. While you're on my website, sign up for the free daily devotionals under the free newsletter tab. I'll send you a free devotional early every morning in your inbox. I think it will help you understand who Jesus is and who you are together. All right. If you want to contact me, please don't message me on social media. Just go to my website, go over to the contact page. I'll be glad to interact with you there. Okay. Also, I don't know everything. (laughs) Let's get that out in the beginning as well. I am going to share with you what I know so far, and we're all learning and growing. If you follow a particular ministry where they are right about absolutely everything, you've never heard them say, you know what? I'm thinking about that in a different way now, or, you know, I, I was a little off on that subject, or I've matured out of that. Now I think this about this, that is where you kind of want to be, not just following one individual who knows everything. (laughs) So I never want you to think that when you pay any attention to my ministry, I just want to share with you what I know so far. I hope ultimately you understand that I love you and I want you to be fulfilled in your life in Christ. All right. All right, so let's get to today's walk talk. Can women be pastors? Part one. (laughs) All right, so this is going to be a three-part series about women being pastors. Excuse me, the, the title of this is actually Can Women Be Pastors and Elders? So it was originally Can Women Be Pastors? Now, I did a walk talk a year and a half or so ago, some, something like that in regard to women pastors. And when I was going to do this walk talk, it was titled the same. So we get a lot of questions about women being elders as well. So I just titled it, Can Women Be Pastors and Elders? <laughs> and this is going to be a three-part series. Here's what I want to do with this three-part series. So 
I want to talk about the history of the word pastor, the history of the word elder, and why we see what we see today, not based on the Bible, but on history. Because when we go to the Bible and we attempt to superimpose what we see today onto the Bible, it doesn't match up. So if, and I understand what you're thinking right now, if you've been taught the opposite, no, the Bible says this about women pastors. The Bible says this about women elders. You're a liar. You're a... I know this could probably make you angry. I don't want to make you angry, (laughs) okay? Just give me some time because... The Bible never says that a woman can't be a pastor. The Bible never says that a woman can't be an elder. Now, you might be thinking, it says husband of one wife. I know, and I'm going to talk about the context of that. So, the issue with our modern church is we do what's called proof texting, which is taking one passage out or a couple passages or a chunk of passages. We take it out because it has these numbers next to it and then a chapter and then we build a doctrine on that group. Well, the problem with that is the Bible was not written in verses. The Bible was not written in chapters. So you actually have to pan all the way back to understand the entire letter, the context surrounding the letter, what was going on at that time and not proof text. So proof texting started in the 16th century with the Protestant scholastics. And then it was perfected pretty much through John Darby in the 19th century. So we have to take a step away from proof texting. And then we have to just read scripture for what it is actually written about. So this passages that everybody wants to say, if you think this, that everybody who thinks this wants to say, women can't be pastors, women can't be elders. These are the passages which prove this. That's error. It's being taken out of context. So I'm going to talk about that. Now, this is a very, very deep topic. Very deep topic. So I know that it is a deep topic. So I decided to do a three-part series on this topic. I normally don't do a series. I think I've done a series, I don't know, two or three times in the past couple years. Not very often. But can women be pastors and elders? This deserves a series. (laughs) It deserves a fleshing out of of this topic. Because If we can just take our emotions off for just a moment. I'm not saying your emotions don't matter. I'm saying if this subject is making you angry, if this subject is making you feel disturbed or anxious, you could be a male who believes a woman is not allowed to be a pastor or an elder based on what you have read in the scriptures. I'm going to talk about that. This could make you angry. Or you could be a female who honestly believes you're not allowed to be a pastor or an elder because of what you have just been involved with for so long, what you grew up with and everything else that comes along with that. You might think that you have a different role. And even that, you think that, you're like, what's wrong with that? I'm going to talk about that in the next two walk talks. Give me some time. Let me, (laughs) I'm not trying to insult you. I'm not trying to destroy anything in regard to how you live your life. My goal ultimately is to reveal the gospel in even greater ways and unearth your freedom based on the gospel. And then we're going to look at scripture in context and not proof text. That's it. If this upsets you, I hope it doesn't. I just want you to enjoy peace. I want you to have a sound mind and I want you to understand just how special you are 
to your creator and that has nothing to do with your gender. God actually wanted you to be your particular gender. And this is not about any of the hot topic issues that's going on in our current culture. I'm not going to talk about that. So if that's why you're here, <laughs> that's not what I'm interested in. My goal for this walk talk is to go over the history of why we see what we see today in regard to women and Christianity. And then we're going to go over all the passages that many people will use in error and out of context to say women cannot be pastors. Women cannot be elders. Okay. So we got to talk about this. Even when I say the word pastor, you immediately think of an individual running a church, giving sermons behind a pulpit. Yet we don't see that in the Bible. So you're thinking something that is based on error of man-made tradition if it's not backed up by the Bible. And some people say, oh no, just because it's not in the Bible, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to do it. Well, that right there is a very, very slippery slope. <laughs> you can come up with a lot of stuff. We just got to look at scripture, look at history, find out what was going on and then go from there. All right. Now, so why, you know... <laughs> Somebody, I posted about this the other day and somebody commented, are you saying the Bible's wrong? Oh, I knew it. I knew I shouldn't follow you anymore. You're saying the Bible is wrong about women. Listen, the Bible is not wrong about women. It is the erroneous man-made traditional exegesis <laughs> of the Bible, which is wrong about women. The Bible has this film over it right now. And you think what you think about the Bible based on what daddy taught you and granddaddy taught you or what you learned at the revival. Calm down, McMillan. <laughs> I'm getting a little triggered right now. I plan on not being triggered about this. <laughs> okay, here it is. You think the Bible is not wrong. So let's just say that the Bible is God's inherent word. It is God breathed. What is wrong is the interpretation of scripture based on man-made tradition. That's the error. And this started before the Bible was even canonized. So let's talk about that. Because this subjugation of women did not start once the Bible was pinned. And even when the Bible was pinned... There's nothing in the Bible which would suggest that women are lower than men or women have a different role. Even that, you're like, eh, this can't be right. The Bible never suggests that. <laughs> you think that because of this film that you have while you're reading the Bible based on the tradition of men. And both Jesus warned against tradition of men and Paul warned against tradition of men. In Mark chapter 7... And Paul said it in the book of Colossians. All right. So let's go all the way back <laughs> to where this started, okay? It actually started with the unbelieving Jews. Now, I'm not picking on Jewish people, <laughs> okay? So let's not think this is a Jew bashing because I'm not doing that. <laughs> I am talking about the unbelieving Hebrew people. Those who never trusted God and were looking to the law and the Talmud, which is the erroneous passed down man-made oral tradition of the Jews for righteousness. That is what I'm describing. Because righteousness has ever, never come through law observance. 
scripture is clear about that. If righteousness could have come through the law, Christ died for nothing, Paul said. So we have to come to the realization that observing the law before the cross never caused you to become righteous. It was just meant to reveal your need for grace in even greater ways and to shut your mouth. Paul says this earlier on in the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 5, where he says both the Gentile is without excuse because they could see that there is a creator, so they had the righteous requirement of the law written on their consciences. What is that? Be perfect like God or else you're doomed. They did not have the law written on their conscience. I repeat, they did not have the law of Moses written on their conscience. They did not have 613 commandments written on their conscience. They had the righteous requirements, which is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect like God. So they realize there is a creator and I need to trust him. Okay. And then you got the Jews who had the law, but they were looking to the law for righteousness. And there was not one righteous according to law observance. And they were looking to that and saying, I'm righteous because I'm following parts of the law. Okay. Now, you have that, but then you also have what's called the Talmud. What is the Talmud? The Talmud is not the law. The Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D, is the oral tradition of the Jews, which opposed the law. (laughs) And why do we know that it's oral? Now, eventually it was written down, but from generation to generation, at first it was just oral. This is why Jesus says... You have heard, but I tell you. Now they had heard the Talmud and they had heard the law, but quite often when Jesus said, you have heard, he was referring to the Talmud. And the way you know that is if you go look to the law, did the law say this? No, the Talmud said this. Okay, so here's some of the the things that the Talmud said. And again, this isn't the law, which is the 613 commandments, but the Talmud, the oral passed down tradition. Here is what the law, here's what the Talmud said. It is a shame for the voice of a woman to be heard among men. Did the law say that? No, the law never said that about a woman. It said the voice of a, the voice of a woman is filthy nakedness. Did the law say that? No, the Talmud said that. And who was integrating the Talmud in with the commandments of God. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the elders, according to the law, the scribes, everybody who was looking to the law for righteousness, they were shoving these errors about women into that. And Jesus was saying, hold on, no, 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 no. The law doesn't say this. (laughs) The Talmud was causing the Hebrew people to look at to women as trash. And the Talmud was also looking to women as property. This is why a Pharisee approached Jesus and he said, can I divorce a woman for any reason I want? What does Jesus say? He says, what does the law say? (laughs) He knew what the law said. He's a Pharisee. What does the law say about divorcing a woman for any reason that you want? The law does not say that. (laughs) It says you can't do it. You can't divorce them unless there's sexual immorality, adultery, And even at that point, it has to be done peacefully with a certificate. The Talmud didn't say that. Here's something else that the Talmud said. The Talmud said, women are sexually provocative, 
mentally inferior, socially embarrassing, and excluded from the law of Moses. Therefore, they should be silent. So they were treating women according to the Talmud. The word divorce is used in the Gospels five to 15 times, depending on your translation. And nearly every single time, it is a legalist trying to find a reason to trap Jesus into words of the Talmud or twisting of, of the actual commandments of God to get him to match up with that. So they can say, you're wrong. This is blasphemy. According to the law, you were allowed to get a divorce. <laughs> According to the Talmud, you could just, I don't want you anymore. I'm done. See ya for whatever I want. Look, look, at, look at Joseph, for example, uh, Mary's husband. Joseph had planned on divorcing Mary. And it says he was going to do this without dishonoring her. He wasn't going to show her any shame. But he had a dream. The angel approached him and said, hey, she's telling the truth. And at that point, he didn't even have relations with her until after Jesus was born. So the law says you can divorce women only for a reason or two, but it has to be done with respect. And it ha you have to give her a certificate. The Talmud did not say that about women. The Talmud said some very, very destructive things about women. As a matter of fact, I did a walk talk on this two walk talks ago in, I think it's episode 216, where I go over a passage that Paul quotes to the Corinthians about the errors of the Talmud and then corrects it. But yet we go to this passage and we say a woman must be silent. <laughs> First Corinthians 14, 34 and 35, Paul is quoting the Corinthians, quoting the Talmud and quoting their error. How do we know that? Because he says, as the law says, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul knew what the law said. Does the law say that a woman must be silent? No, the Talmud said that. So you got these Greek people who he had established the Gospels, the Judaizers who were mashing in the law with the Talmud came in behind him and said, oh yeah, by the way, you can do all this stuff, but a female cannot speak in the church. She must be submissive. And they write that to Paul. <laughs> Paul quotes them and corrects them all throughout 1 Corinthians. But we go to what he is quoting and correcting and say, this is what a woman must do in the church. She is not permitted to speak. The law does not say that. The gospel does not say that. The Talmud says that. <laughs> so if you want to say a woman is not permitted to speak in the church, she must remain silent. You are not teaching scripture. You are not even teaching the law. You are teaching the Talmud. Because according to the gospel, Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. Does it say there is neither male nor female? We all have different roles in Christ. There is neither male or female, but you got to be silent in the church. No, it doesn't. That's the gospel over there in Galatians 3.28. 1 Corinthians 14.34 and 35 is Paul quoting them, correcting them, saying the law doesn't even say that. He knew what the law was. How do we know he's quoting and correcting them? Because he knew what the law says. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He bragged to the Philippians. 
and they counted it all as dung. So it started there with the Hebrew people. And you would think that once Christ went to the cross, all of this sexism would just go away. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it continued with the early church fathers. Now, when I say church father, I am going heavy on the air quotes because these are not our church fathers. <laughs> these are human beings just like me, just like you, fallible, making mistakes. If they've trusted in Jesus, by grace, they're saved. But whatever mistakes they were dealing with, they're going to have to deal with those mistakes <laughs> in their culture, in their relationships, in their gatherings. Same thing happens today in our modern church with error. Error doesn't unsave you. It causes turmoil and division in the body of Christ. And a lot of this division began with what we call the early church fathers. We call them church fathers because it's old, not because it's true. Are you are you just saying that they didn't know blah 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 blah? They were there for the Okay, so what? Lots of them were messing up. Just because you were there from the beginning doesn't mean you were preaching the authenticity of the gospel of grace. The early church fathers, Jesus said, call no man father in the gospel. So if we want to say they are fathers, that is error. Here are some of the things that the early church fathers said. Mind you, <laughs> so many people go to these church fathers and they quote them like, oh, this is a church father. This is a, this is a paramount quote. Here's some of their quotes. Clement of Alexandria said this. Now get this. Now don't get me wrong. They said some good things, but this is what they said about women. Clement of Alexandria said, a woman should be filled with shame by the very thought that she was created as a woman. Now, Clement of Alexandria also said some other good things. He said, sermons are a bad thing for the body of Christ. I agree, <laughs> because that's not in the Bible. He said, you cannot go to what you are, church. I agree. But when he said a woman should be filled with shame by the very thought that she was created as a woman, this just perpetuate what the Talmud had been teaching, what the Jews were teaching who were ignoring how Jesus interacted with women. And it continued. Here's another early church father, Jerome with a J. <laughs> can you spell Jerome with a G? I don't think you can. So just Jerome. <laughs> you know you're a savage if you just got one word for a name. Jerome said this, early church father. Now get this. So many people want to quote these church fathers. Jerome said, the root of all evil comes from a woman. The root of all evil comes from a woman. Church father. Let's talk about some of these early church fathers, amazing sophists such as Augustine and Christostom. You know, we want to quote Augustine and Christostom all the time, like this is gospel, but it's not. These were simply orators who were good at giving sermons. And sermons were Greek rhetoric from the sophists, <laughs> from the Greek culture, <laughs> where you would give a one-man monologue and you would have an audience and they would applaud you and then they would pay you and you would inspire them. Augustine did this, so did Christostom. When the Catholic Church began, in the beginning, they had sermons that they gave. Now that went to the side, and then the Eucharist took the 
spot as the best part of the liturgy, and then sermons were put off to the side. But in the beginning, Augustine and Christostom were the OGs, and we quote them, <laughs> even non-Catholic people. Here's what Augustine said about the female gender. I don't see any reason that a woman was created except to provide childbearing. Augustine. I don't see any reason why a woman was created except to provide childbearing. Imagine sitting in that sermon. This is supposed to be a Christian church father, right? It's wrong. It's error. So what did Christostom say? We got Christostom. Oh, yes, Christostom. Oh, what is that? Why couldn't he just be called Chris? <laughs> These Greek names, man. But here's what Christostom said about females. God created men to perform the more necessary aspects of life. God created men to perform the more necessary aspects of life. Imagine if you are hearing this sermon as a woman, you're sitting here listening to this guy supposed to be representing Jesus Christ because he's given a sermon and everybody's sitting here just like, oh, wow, he's so eloquent, could speak so great. Oh, look at me. So my life is not necessary. My life is not important because I'm a female. So what Mary did was not that necessary, wasn't that important of carrying the Messiah, birthing the Messiah, dealing with all of the stigma that went along with that, dealing with the relationship she had to deal with Joseph. And then raising this boy, very necessary. But it continued. <laughs> this pushing down of women by humanity, this pushing down of people saying, this is a Christian church. We stand on the word of God. A woman must be silent. Women are not as necessary or important. They are just for childbearing. Didn't stop there. It continued and continued over a thousand years later, another 500 years later. Then the Reformation happened in the 16th century, the Protestant Reformation. Now, when the Protestant Reformation began, you would think things would change. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of things which were positive, which came from the Reformation, but there are a lot of things which were negative. The reformers simply perpetuated everything that was happening with women. Martin Luther, John Calvin, and others, they didn't begin to preach there is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. Oh, no, they had, they had their own quotes about women. Here's just one quote from each. Martin Luther said this. A woman seems to be a creature who has a weaker mind than a man. The Martin Luther. We even have Lutheranism. The Lutheran church. <laughs> a woman seems to be a creature who has a weaker mind than a man. Now, John, excuse me, Martin Luther could not stand what was happening in the Catholic church because he said Christ will not die again. This repeated Eucharist of you guys literally sacrificing Jesus and consuming his body and blood, that is error 
the Bible says Christ will not die again. He died once for sins. That is error. This whole system that you have with the priests and clergy, laity, error. But he just took that, twisted it, and then still had the name priest. But then really started to emphasize the word pastor. And he said, it's the pastor that's the best part. Communion, we will serve that to you as pastors. There's still a congregation where there's this passive audience and you got one person and you cannot know the Lord unless you hear preaching from a sermon, from a pulpit on a Sunday. That's what happened through the Reformation. And you would think, well, this has got to be in the Bible. It's not. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. And I'm going to get to that here shortly. <laughs> But most of our churches today are Protestant, which simply means non-Catholic. And that just simply means you've got a pastor, congregation. You don't do the Catholic stuff with the confessing and stuff. You confess directly to God to receive more forgiveness. This error is not in the Bible. We don't see this. So that's what Martin Luther said. So what about John Calvin? We got, oh yeah, John Calvin. We got Calvinism. John Calvin. John Calvin loved the word pastor more than anything else in the history of history. Before I get into that, let's, let's talk about this quote, John Calvin. And this is just one quote. Do your research on this. <laughs> what did the reformers say about women? Do a Google search. I just picked one. Here's what John Calvin said about women. Every woman is created to admit that she is the inferior sex to a male. Every woman was created to admit or acknowledge she is the inferior sex to a male. You are created to admit you're less than a male. John Calvin said this. Yet we teach Calvinism. <laughs> A man's last name and then ism. Come on. <laughs> if that's not the biggest cult red flag, I don't know what is. But you got John Calvin who started to really emphasize this word pastor, really push down women even further. He started places of study where you can go and you can learn Calvinism. And this entire system of a pastor, elder, deacon, laity down here, not called laity according to John Calvin, you're the congregation, started with the Reformation. It was a spinoff from Catholicism which Catholicism is not based on the gospel. And then you got Protestant Reformation. So you get the Jews with the Talmud pushing down women. Jesus rebuked it a lot. You got the early church fathers pushing down women, ignoring scripture. Then you got the reformers, the amazing reformers where you practice most of what you practice today because of the reformers pushing down women saying you cannot be a pastor but that's not in the bible you cannot be an elder because an elder can only be a husband of one wife 
but they take the one verse while ignoring all of the other verses about female elders. And I'm going to talk about those things in the next walk talk. But what I want to do now is I want to go over the history or, or what a pastor is according to the Bible. We're going to go over the history of how pastor came to this. But if you go to the Bible and you search for the word pastor, does it ever populate and say anything about duties? No. Qualifications? No. Authority? Which means you have the ability to punish? No. So why do we think what we think today? The Reformation. The Reformers have superimposed your dead relatives with these thoughts about women and you teach this. Or you believe these lies. Because when we search scripture, search scripture, pastors only used one time in the epistles. Once. Ephesians 4.11. You would think that our, our epistles would be littered with the word pastor. All of these different things that a pastor does and you're supposed to do for a pastor. You would think, because when you go to a church, who preaches there? Oh, I love him. Or who preaches there? Oh, I don't like him at all. Where do you go to church? Who preaches? Who is the pastor? Is the number one question you will get when somebody finds out you're a Christian. Is it not? This started 16th century. <laughs> Five, six hundred years ago. It's not because of the Bible. We only see the word pastor once in the epistles. Once. In this le- Now let's talk about the Old Testament real quickly. because Oh, the word pastor is used in the Old Testament. Macmillan, false prophet, false prophet. I can already see it. <laughs> okay, the word pastor simply means shepherd. It is in the Old Testament in very few translations. Very few translations. And the handful of translations that does say the word pastor, it's only in the book of Jeremiah. What, seven or eight times? Is it a pastor at a church with a congregation who receives tithes, who gives a sermon? No, it's none of that. None of that. It's not there. You think that because of the Reformation. (laughs) A pastor is another word is shepherd. And these pastors, these shepherds being referenced in the book of Jeremiah were shepherding them according to Judaism, according to the 613. And they were doing a terrible job. And Jeremiah is rebuking them. You need to do a better job. You need to teach them how to obey the commandments better because the old covenant was still in effect because Christ had not gone to the cross, therefore setting aside the old covenant to establish the new covenant based on better promises between the Father and the Son, not Israel and God. Old covenant, pastors there, some translations, has nothing to do with what we see today. You have to read all of scripture based on what Christ has done at the cross. So let's talk about the new covenant. The New Testament in the epistles, we see the word pastor once. Ephesians 4, 11. Now, in Ephesians 4, 11, do we see a gender referenced? Does it say it has to be a male? No. <laughs> Does it say anything about a pastor? Anything. It just says a pastor is given. Pastors. Any, any any bullet points of what a pastor does, who a pastor is, 
these duties, these qualifications, these authorities, nothing, absolutely nothing. It is completely nebulous. And I'm going to get to what a pastor actually is here in a minute. But I, I want to go back to uh, chapter seven, excuse me, verse seven of chapter four. Even though this wasn't written in chapters and verses, I'm going to prove text to prove the truth about this. Go back to verse seven and it says, us. That's people. That's male and female. So a male and a female could, just depending on whatever God decides, could have the very gift of being a pastor. And again, when I say being a pastor, you immediately think of the Reformation pastor. (laughs) Pastor is not that. (laughs) This is why a woman can be a pastor. And that's why it says us in verse seven, because us is male or female. What does a pastor do? It does not say. But we can see (laughs) what the chief pastor, the chief shepherd does and expresses. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of what the pastoral gift looks like. The Greek word is poimena. Just means shepherd, overseer. How did Jesus shepherd? He said, I am the good shepherd. How did he shepherd? Did he ever punish anybody? No. As a matter of fact, the people who had came to punish him, Peter tried to kill the guy. Jesus said, we're not doing that. And then he heals the guy. The very person who was going to betray him, he had dinner with him. He didn't punish anybody. But yet, pastor in today's church is the king of authority. He will punish the elders who step out of line. He will punish the deacon, the clergy. You're out of here. Don't even come back. You need to treat them as if they're an unbeliever because they disobey pastor. That's not in the Bible. The very example of what the chief shepherd, the OG original (laughs) pastor What did Jesus do? He said, I have not come to condemn, but to save. So if if Jesus did not come to condemn, what gives me the right, if I'm claiming to have this title of pastor, to condemn the world from a pulpit? And there's no pulpits in the Bible. (laughs) I take that back. There's one pulpit in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah. Ezra stood up on a wooden platform and read the book of the law for several days. Was Ezra a pastor? No. Was this pulpit, did it have this front where he sat his book on? No. It was a raised wooden platform. This idea of having an actual pulpit where you're standing behind it, people in front of you, you are basically given a monologue and a speech. Started with the early church fathers. They mixed in Roman imperialism because this happened all the time in the Greek cities. As the Roman governors went from city to city to city, saying what they got to say. We do not give pulpit sermons. (laughs) There's no pulpit. We don't have a pulpit. So if we go to the Bible and we look for our gatherings, you know, if you want to understand the only part of the Bible where it talks about our gatherings, what it looks like, it's 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. This is the only part of the Bible where it describes gathering 
everything else, you would have to superimpose Reformationism onto it or Catholicism onto it in order to get what you think it is. Because only 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, what do we see? Is there a pastor? The word pastor's not in that letter. Is there elders? Elders not there. Deacons is not there. There's no pulpit. There's no sermons. There's no plate being passed to tithe. They're encouraged to give freely from the heart, not under pressure and not under compulsion. From the heart. But we want to tell people that they have a wicked, sinful, deceitful heart. <laughs> if I have a wicked, sinful, deceitful heart, how am I supposed to give from the heart? See it? But when we go to the Bible and we search for this word pastor, the best example is Jesus. Anything else that you want to superimpose onto the Bible is tradition of men. And this word pastor doesn't have any gender specific. This word pastor doesn't even have a position. It is a description of somebody. When we gather... <laughs> in 1 Corinthians, everybody is encouraged to share, but to do it under control and in order. That's it. <laughs> it's a lot more simple. There are no titles. There's no top-down authority structure in the New Testament. Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 20, you will not lord over one another. It will not be like this among you. If you want to be great, you must serve. I have not come to be served. Jesus said he didn't come to be served. Jesus said he did not come to be served. So when I see the little caption on Facebook and somebody's bragging on somebody else, oh, I just love how they just serve and serve and serve and serve and serve. Well, yes, serving is in the Bible. But Jesus said he did not come to be served. So this obsession <laughs> with this false humility deal of, you know, I, <laughs> I texted a pastor one time giving him condolences about a relative who had just passed. He didn't text me back for days. <laughs> and this is what he said when he texted me back. I'm sorry I couldn't get back to you. I was too busy serving. <laughs> hmm. But yet yeah, Jesus said, I've not come to be served, but to serve. I've not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus said, I don't even call you servants. I call you friends. But so many people with this pastoral identity want to say, I can serve better than others. Look at me. Look what I do. Look how humble I am. But then I'm strong. But then I'm humble. But then I'm strong. Ooh, double talk. And then you got the other pastors like, you need to serve me. I'm the pastor. Serve me. You're the laity. You are the congregation. You are the assembly. I am in charge. I am the clergy. Error. <laughs> and then you got little miniature cults with a Christian cap on top of it. Because a cult has one leader. 
But yet Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if there's only one member, where is the body? But God has put together the body, he says. But we have one main member, pastor. And the body of Christ is blind to what scripture actually says about this. And we just follow along man-made tradition. And we definitely say a female can't do that. No way. Bible doesn't teach us that. Bible says there's neither male nor female. Ephesians 4, 7 says us right before saying the word pastor. But that's what we got because of tradition of men. Now, let's talk about a little bit of history <laughs> of how we got to this point. Because so many people want to say, well, pastors are biblical. But, but they're, yes. <laughs> but your interpretation of what that word is, is not matching up to the truth of the Bible. So this started with one man. His name is Ignatius of Antioch. At the end of the first century, all the original apostles were dying off. And Ignatius of Antioch was on his way to be martyred. And he began writing letters. And he started saying certain things about individuals who were to be put in charge. And he named them bishop. The word bishop is not in the Bible. The word bishop is not in the Bible. And I'm going to go over that. I'm not going to talk about that today because that's a pretty long topic. I'm going to talk about that in part two and three. The word bishop is not in the Bible. We see overseer. This word bishop was superimposed onto the Bible because of what Ignatius of Antioch started in the first century when he wrote letters back to the early church, individual groups, and he began to say certain things about one person and he called them bishop. He said, regard bishop the same as you do the Lord. Regard bishop the same as you do the Lord. What else did Ignatius, Ignatius of Antioch say? Don't do anything unless the bishop is present. Don't do anything unless the bishop is present. It is unlawful for you to perform baptisms without the bishop. This is him writing this to the church, the early body of Christ. And it does not match up with scripture. Another thing is, if these early church fathers were right, why did they not make it into the canon of scripture? It's because God did not want it in the canon of scripture because it is error and it goes against everything that the gospel stands for. <laughs> so he said all these things about the bishop. As time went on, the next early church fathers, Cyprian of Carthage, Tertullian, Clement of Rome, Clement of Alexandria, we got all these early church fathers perpetuating this error. A bunch of them went back into the old covenant, started taking stuff from Judaism, mixed it in with the gospel, this first covenant mixture theologians, and then Constantine happened. <laughs> Constantine mixed a bunch of paganism in with Christianity. Christianity finally had some protection. And Constantine believed a bunch of the lies of the early church fathers, especially this error about bishops. So he took the word bishop, put them in charge at Christian basilicas, which is a building which is longer front to back than side to side. You got somebody up front. You got a passive audience. These were modeled after the Roman basilicas where 
government functions happen, community functions, and he turned them into Christian churches. And then you got the bishop up front, and then you have the cathedra, which is the bishop's chair, <laughs> which was part of Roman imperialism. So the bishop would be up on stage at the Roman basilicas, at the Christian <laughs> basilicas, giving sermons, which began with the Greek sophists a couple hundred years before Jesus. And then on each side, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, were the elders. But the pastor was, the bishop was also called pastor or priest. So this continued on, continued on. And then the Reformation happened. Martin Luther saw this bishop, did not like this position, did not like this setup, and he just changed it with a different spin on it, did not base it on anything in the Bible, only his pastor. And then we see what we see today. <laughs> it's error. It's not based on scripture. <laughs> and then John Calvin really took this word pastor because he loved this word pastor. And he went to Hebrews chapter 13 to establish this error of pastors being in charge by saying, Jesus was the great shepherd of the sheep. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus was the great shepherd of the sheep. But the word pastor, first of all, is not there. Also, <laughs> Jesus did not run individual church buildings. Jesus did not treat women like this. You're in error, John Calvin. <laughs> And here we are hundreds of years later, practicing Calvin, Calvinism, practicing Lutheranism, pushing women down based on the Reformation's errors. We think because it's old, it's true, but it's not based on the gospel. It is not backed up by scripture. None of this women can't be pastors is not found anywhere in the Bible. All right, let's go on to the word elder. Oh, I hope you guys are enjoying this. This this topic is fun for me to talk about because it's so freeing. It's like therapy to talk about this stuff. So let's go on to the word elder. Now, the word elder, <laughs> and then now I'm going to button it up after this, okay? And then I'm going to dive deep into all of the passages that people are saying, this is a woman, or this is a male only, this is a male only, based on those Bible verses. And I'm going to say, hold on, let's talk about those Bible verses. So we're going to go over all those verses, all of them in my next two walk talks, but I'm going to go over this word elder, where it's at in the Bible, what it is, and a little bit of history behind this word elder. But before I do that, <laughs> if you are new to my ministry, check out my podcast, check out my YouTube channel. My last two walk talks, I've been going over this topic in great detail. I went over 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. I went over uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. I've, I've been going over these passages about women. So check it out, okay? Now, this word elder. Many people will say women can't be elders based on 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And they can't be pastors based on 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. So here is a huge huge piece of information which will help you. First of all, before I talk about elders, the word pastor is not in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus. So when people are like, oh no, these are the pastoral letters. They're not pastoral letters. John Calvin called them the pastoral letters. (laughs) 
There are no pastoral letters. <laughs> Timothy wasn't a pastor. Titus wasn't a pastor. And if they had that gift of pastoring, that word is not there. And again, they did not have a church. They did not have a congregation where they were in charge. Timothy was an evangelist. Second Timothy 2 says that. And I, I dive deep into the history of, of the letter to Timothy. Check out my last walk talk. Check out the previous walk talk. But I just want to point out, if you want to go to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus to say that a woman can't be a pastor because of something that is written in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus, you are in error because the Greek word for pastor is poimenes, and it's plural, which means it's multiple, and that word is not in any of these letters. <laughs> oh, a pastor is an elder. I can already see it. I already know the emails I'm going to get. Pastors are not elders. The Greek word for elder is presbyteros or presbyter. So if you attempt to go to a passage in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus and say a pastor is an elder, this is what an elder does, there you're twisting it <laughs> because pastors aren't elders. I don't agree with that. <laughs> I have some colleagues who see it a little bit differently, but what I see according to scripture is a pastor is only listed over here in Ephesians 4. Elders are only listed in these letters over here. This is no disrespect to people who believe differently. I'm going off the original Greek word. Now, could let's just do a little sidebar here. Could an individual have the shepherding gift and be an elder, which is simply an older person in the faith? Probably. Probably. But it's not in either of these letters or, or Titus. So for me, I'm going to say pastors are not elders based on these passages. Oh, it's not in the, just because it's not in the Bible doesn't mean it's not true. We're right back to it. <laughs> so we have to understand that an elder is much different than a pastor according to these letters. All right. So what is an elder? <laughs> now, I know you want me to be on specifics on these verses, and I'm going to get into these specific verses in my next two walk talks. Today, I'm going over the history of the word pastor, the history of the word elder. So what is an elder? An elder is somebody who's older. <laughs> you ever heard anybody say, respect your elders? We think that an elder is somebody who is packing a gat up on stage next to pastor because you come in this church and you want to make a fuss. We will fill you with lead. This is Texas <laughs> or wherever. <laughs> My pastor protects me. I love all these pastors around me. I dare you to come in here and try something. My pastor or my, my elders will get you. Bodyguards. <laughs> elders are not bodyguards to pastors in scripture. <laughs> elders are not in charge of anything. <laughs> sorry you think that <laughs> because of the reformation you think that because of what happened with constantine now let's talk about this real quick and i'm getting ahead of myself here but this is going to make a point to help me make my next point elders the original word was presbyter or presbyteros 
they were under the bishop in the early church. So you got the bishop on top. The head bishop is called the Pope. <laughs> and the original word was Pontifex Maximus, which means chief of the pagan priests. So you got bishop, then you got all these presbyters, which had different, you can't see what I'm doing on the podcast, but I got my hand up and I'm pointing at the top. And then I got all these sub points below the top and you got the, the bishop and then you got all these elders under the bishop and then they were over individual groups. That's where it started. And then by the time Constantine came into power and he created these Christian basilicas with the stage with the bishop on the throne. This is where we get the word cathedral from. You know, you, you see a, a beautiful cathedral. That's because Constantine was obsessed with appearances and pagan temples. Some of the most, what's that one temple? Cologne. Have you seen this temple? This <laughs> in Cologne, Google, I think it took three or 400 years to build. It is magnificent. I mean, it's the most grandiose thing you would ever see in your entire life. This started with Constantine. He loved these big grandiose buildings. And at these places, they eventually were called cathedrals because a cathedral is a building which houses the king's throne, which is cathedral. And then on the stage, you got the bishop. And on the, each side, there was a semicircle of elders. So this Roman imperial authority structure had gone from Rome, then pushed into the church liturgy, completely ignoring everything Jesus said about you will not lord over one another. You're all brothers and sisters. And you got the bishop, you got the elders with the elder circle. And then it continued on. The, the Protestant Reformation still has this top-down structure with pastor. And then you got the elders. But this is not in the Bible. We are a group. We are a family. 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 does not show this. But yet we have atrophied members of the body of Christ because they don't think they can say or do anything in regard to Jesus because they're not a pastor or they need to get their house in order and then they can earn their spot as a pastor. And I'm going to talk about that in my next couple walk talks. But that's where elders came from in regard to what humanity sees today. This man-made traditional structure of pastor, elder, deacon, and then you're, you're down here. Shut up. You don't like it? Kick rocks. Elder will see you to the door. <laughs> An elder is simply somebody who is older, more mature in any particular faith. It is not a position of somebody, but it describes somebody. There were unbelieving elders in the Gospels who wanted Jesus to be killed. Why? Because they were elders according to the law. They were elders according to the Talmud. And they hated Jesus for what he was saying by calling them out. Elders in the Gospels hated Jesus. Then you got these elders over here in Timothy. What is going on in regard to Timothy with these elders? Paul had spent three years in Ephesus and was dealing with the temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana, and the Jews in the local synagogue. And he had more of a time establishing the gospel in Ephesus than any other city. That's why he spent the most time there. And he left and he asked Timothy to stay there 
to combat false doctrine of the temple of Artemis and endless genealogies, which is Judaism. So when Paul is saying, surround yourself with these type of people, these elders, these are not specific genders. I'm going to get to that in the next walk talk, because I got to talk about that for a lot. An elder was somebody who simply loved Timothy and understood the gospel. An elder had a desire to assist Titus. An elder wanted to point the ecclesia to what happened at the cross, their complete forgiveness, but also what happened at the resurrection, their complete righteousness. Elders understood the gospel. Elders understood Jesus Elders expressed Christ. <laughs> had nothing to do with their genders. It had to do with whether or not they were going to assist Timothy, assist Titus, in dealing with all of this stuff which was happening in these Greek cities. But yeah, we want to go to this passage and say, a woman can't be an elder, a husband, a one wife, blah, 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 blah. Error. Proof texting. And again, I'm going to go over why he said that. But an elder, according to scripture, is pretty much, I did a TikTok on this yesterday, pretty much like a sponsor in AA. A sponsor has specific qualifications in order to help guide people, but they have no authority to punish them. A sponsor has been there, done that, but they have no authority to punish anybody. A sponsor cares, a sponsor, and I'm not in AA, but I know what a sponsor is. <laughs> and I'm in sobriety. Um, I tried out AA, just maybe want to drink more. No offense to AA. <laughs> but if you know what a sponsor is in AA, that is the best example that I can possibly think of in regard to a biblical elder. So if there is a female who understands the gospel, if there is a female who understands what Christ accomplished through the cross and the resurrection, if there is a female who understands who you are as a holy, righteous saint, that individual should be assigned as an elder. Now, here's another thing. When Paul went to these different cities and established individual groups of the ecclesia, he didn't just hand select people from the crowd and then appoint them as an elder. No, he established the group, left, and then when he came back, the elders were selected from the group. It was no surprise to anybody who was there. It wasn't a big ordination or anything like that. It was just... Sister Lisa over here has really been encouraging everybody about what Jesus actually did. Or Brother Jim over here has really been encouraging and helping this individual over here who's struggling with this addiction and all of these family issues. I think they should be the elder. And it wasn't a ceremony. It wasn't an ordination. The word ordained is not in the Bible. Nobody is ordained. Ordained means it is a ceremony where power is bestowed upon you. That is from Roman imperialism. 
the word appoint is, but it, appoint does not mean it's a ceremony or you, you, now you have the power. It's just, this person here knows all about the gospel. Let this individual lead you. Not even lead you, but guide you, <laughs> help you, assist you. We got to get rid of that word lead. Christ is the leader <laughs> and he leads us from within. And if there is an elder who is a male, who is claiming to be an elder, who is a male, who does not tell you you're completely forgiven, who does not tell you you're completely righteous, who does not tell you that you're not a sinner, but a saint, they have no business claiming to be elder according to scripture. But if a female says the opposite, listen to them. <laughs> listen. If they're focused on Jesus, listen. If there is a sense of anxiety every time somebody opens their mouth, don't listen to them. Ask them to leave <laughs> or leave yourself or just bow out. <laughs> Oh, so can women be pastors and elders? Part one. Um, today we went over the history of uh, pastor and elder and how we see what we see today in regard to these positions. So I hope it's set a little bit of a foundation of a bedrock because I'm not covering all this over again. <laughs> in my next two walk talks, I'm going to dive deep into the passages where people are saying the Bible says a woman cannot be a pastor. The Bible says a woman cannot be an elder. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that. So be sure to join me for my next two walk talks in regard to this topic. Um, until then, I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope it's brought to light some truth. hope it's brought to light maybe some error. And you should always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. There's nothing wrong with you. And you are awesome. So always tell the truth about yourself and always be yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry, or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.